Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. First Peter chapter 5, are you there? Hope you, I hope you are. Uh, this is one verse, so I'm going to read that, and then we'll get into what the passage is telling us. Uh, the, word, the, the, the verse starts with one word. It says, likewise, and I don't know if you'll recall what we preached about last week, but that likewise refers to those first four verses. In the first four verses, he is telling us that people, rather elders specifically, ought to lead with humility, with desire to do the work, with concern for people, for love for people. They ought to be doing that not because they have to fight and feud, but because they're following God's agenda, not their own agenda. That, that's kind of in a nutshell what he's been saying to the elders, the leaders of the church. So now he turns and he says, likewise, in the same way, much in the same way as I just told you to do this for the elders, he says, verse 5, likewise, ye younger. And he's making a distinction here between younger and elder. Uh, I think you probably know that distinction, younger and elder. It's older and younger. It's the, the elder would generally be the people who are older and younger would obviously be the opposite of that but he's not just talking about age here in fact it's not even primarily a question of age he is talking uh, really about order in the church he's talking about elders meaning primarily pastors and he is also saying younger meaning everybody who's not a pastor essentially that's that is what he has in mind you got to remember Peter's writing here to these people really at the beginning of the church age, I mean, at this point, churches, Jesus has not long uh, ascended up into heaven. Jesus, uh, the church has not long been established. The day of Pentecost had not been that far. And that was probably something they were still talking about a lot, not just because they wrote it down, but because a lot of them had experienced that. So, so got to realize this is very early on. They're not used to what we are now used to of going to church with a pastor and deacons and and uh, Sunday schools and all that. That's, they're not used to that. So he's saying, I'm trying to establish this for you. Pastors who lead the flock and people who are going in the same way as the pastors submitting unto Christ. So go to verse 5. He says there, likewise, in the same way, ye younger, everybody else in the church, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Why? For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Let's pray and then we'll take our thought from this and apply it to our lives. Lord, please help us as we study this verse. Please help us to be truthful and accurate. Help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking and help us to obey every word you say. We pray this in Jesus' name. He begins by saying, submit yourselves unto the elder. Submit yourselves. That word submit, I think you could take it a couple of different ways. I don't know how you use that word in your day-to-day -day speech, but we often think about submission. I think about it like a submission move in wrestling where you, get, you force somebody to submit. 
And I think sometimes, personally, I tend to think of that word submit in this forceful connotation. I'm required. I can't help but submit. That's not what he means here. It's more of a willing submission. In fact, that word, if you were to actually look, if you think about the word itself, submit, uh, it is this idea of putting under, uh, making you sort of uh, 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 submit yourself. You put yourself under, you put yourself under authority. Uh, it is really the kind of thing where what you would expect from a good soldier. You would expect a good soldier to willingly answer to the authorities that have been put over him, his, his uh, sergeants, his, his, uh, his uh, officers, lieutenants and colonels, and all up the line generals. You would expect him to put himself under that authority, not to be off on his own doing his own thing. That's what he's saying here is that we are to, as he says there, submit Submit yourselves unto the elders. So we are to willingly, not because we're required to, not because somebody has got you by the nape of the neck, somebody's got you in a chokehold saying, you better listen to me, son. That's not the way this ought to be as a Christian. It ought to be the kind of thing where we literally put ourselves under. We say, we know that we have an authority that God has put over us and we're submitting ourselves. In fact, to, to, to further bolster this point that we're not to be submitting because we're forced to, go back to verse 3. He's talking to the elders here, and he says in the elders, you're not to neither as being lords over God's heritage. He's saying to the pastors of the church, hey, pastors, it's not your job to go forcing people to bend them to your will. It's not your job. It's not your church. It's God's church. Your job is not to, and I, I say this, uh, maybe I'm, I'm preaching, I shouldn't do this. Pastor's not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to preach to people who ain't in the building, but I'm going to do it for just a second. There's a lot of us pastors who like to think we're the boss hog and we like to run the joint our way and everybody's got to do it our way or they going get on the, get on down the highway. And that might work in some corporate settings. By the way, I don't think it does. I don't think that's the way you ought to run a business, but that's another discussion. It might work in a corporate setting. But God said, you ain't supposed to do that as a pastor. That's not how you do it. It's not your church, pastor. It's God's church. Now, now I, why am I emphasizing that? Coming back to the verse, in verse 5, he says, you younger, everybody else in the church, submit yourselves unto the elder. He is telling you, no, you're not submitting because he's such a mean old, mean old man. He might call you out from the pulpit. He's going to say bad things about you. He's going to call you and make you feel bad. He's going to force you to do things his way. That's not why he's saying to submit because that's not the pastor's job is to force you to submit. The, the Bible is telling us you are to submit to the elder because there is a willingness putting yourself under that authority. But again, don't miss this. It's not just any authority. It's not just an authority because you like him. It's not just an authority because he's so brash and bold. It's not even an authority because that just happens to be where you go to church. You know why he's an authority? Go back to verse 4. He's talking to the elders in verse 4, and he says, When the chief shepherd shall appear. Do you know what a pastor is? A pastor is a shepherd. He is a shepherd. Do you know who the pastor answers to? In a Baptist church, we understand we're congregationally led and in a sense to the people, but that's not really who the, ask, the pastor answers to. You know who he answers to? The chief shepherd. There's the boss shepherd, if I can put it to you that way. There is a lead pastor in this church, and his name is not Matthew Tilly. His name had better be. In fact, I would argue it is, whether we like it or not. He is the pastor, and his name is Jesus. 
He is the lead pastor. And the lead pastor, you know what that lead pastor, that chief shepherd is doing? He is ordaining pastors in every congregation. Now, I, Brother Bruce Bird and I have talked about this a few times. He's, he said, I'm put, I don't think I'm putting a word in your mouth. You'll correct me from the pulpit or right here now if I'm doing it wrong. He said, I believe God has brought you here. And I believe the same thing. I would agree with that, that God has brought me to this place. And I say that because we can sometimes get that wrong. Churches do get that wrong. Pastors go the wrong place. It does happen. But I don't believe God allows it to happen for too awful long before he doesn't correct the, the course on this thing. And the reason I say that is to simply say that any pastor that's worth his salt, any church that's worth its salt, will recognize when there's the person that is the right man for the job, not because he's talented, not because he's good looking, not because he preaches so good, but because God has brought him to that place. And if that's the case, let me just put it to you this way, and I, I know this may sound self-serving, forgive me if it does. I'm trying to tell you what the scripture tells you. If you understand that the pastor is in his position because the God of the universe has put him there, the God who died for that church said, that's the pastor I want over that church, then coming back to verse 5 doesn't sound that hard. Submit yourselves to the elder. Put yourself under that authority because that's who God thinks you ought to have there. Now, again, do understand, it's a two-way street. We better have elders who don't lord over God's heritage. But we also need members who are willingly submitting themselves over to the shepherd who God has put in place, the chief shepherd has put in place. So it definitely has to go both ways. But he says there that we are to lovingly and willingly submit. Hold your place there in 1 Peter. I do want to ask you to turn over to the book of Hebrews. Just turn over a couple pages to Hebrews chapter 13. Hold your place. We'll be right back. But I want you to turn over to Hebrews 13. I want you to see this in uh, verse 7 to begin with, and then we're going to look at another verse in just a moment. In, in 1 Peter, you're going to turn over to Hebrews. I'll come back there. But in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, not only are the pastors not to lord over the heritage, but they're also to be examples or in samples is the word he uses in the King James. And I want to show you this in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. He says there in, in verse 7, To remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. And look at what he says there. Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So on one hand, he is saying, listen to the, the leaders, the authorities that God has put in place. But, but he's making this little caveat that I think is very important that every Christian ought to pay attention to. Don't just listen to every Tom, Dick, and Harry that walks around and says what they want to say because there's all kinds of people, some really eloquent people, by the way, who can say things are very convincing. But look at what he says here. Whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. That word conversation, you might read the idea of a whole life, their lifestyle. Look at their lives Listen to what they're saying. And if God has put a man in your, as your pastor and you believe he's the man that God has brought to your church, you put yourselves willingly submit to him. Bring yourself under. Listen to what he's saying to you. But don't stop watching his life. Don't just listen to his words. Watch his life and pay attention because it happens. <laughs> These things can be out of sync. And if they're out of sync, something ain't right. And if something's not right... You might need to back off or change course, change horses midstream if need be. Whatever it takes, you better change. Can I make it real plain if I'm not being plain? The Bible says that God has ordained a pastor for a church. I believe that that 
pastor is Matthew Tilly for this church. I believe he's ordained me to be here. Now, y'all got to agree with that or not. That's up to you. You'll have to make your own decision on that. But I believe that. I believe that. Therefore, your job would then be to, as, as much as lies within you, to put yourself under the authority that I've given. Not because I'm a big boss man, but because I'm teaching you what the Bible says. And ultimately, you're not putting yourself under my authority. It better not be under my opinion. You don't have to suffer under my opinion. You need, to be, you need to be submitting to my authority that comes from the scripture and ought to be teaching you. But don't stop. That's what I'm trying to show you from verse 7 of Hebrews, or chapter 13 of Hebrews. Watch my life. If my life doesn't add up to what I'm preaching, and I, I understand I'm not perfect. I'm not, please don't hear me say I'm perfect because I ain't perfect. But if my life on the whole, that's why he says the end of his conversation. Watch his lifestyle as a whole. If my life doesn't match up with what I'm preaching, you better call something into question. And by the way, it's not just about Matthew. It's about the next pastor that comes and the next pastor that comes. Because Lord hope, is until Jesus comes, this church is going to be here for a very long time. And so it's not just about this man that's speaking to you now. This is universal. This is for all time and eternity. We need to hear what the pastor says, submit to it. But go down to verse 17 of this same chapter, chapter 13, Hebrews 13, verse 17. He reiterates this idea of obey them who have the rule over you. Submit yourselves. Why? Because they watch for your souls, for they watch for your souls. And they, as they that must give account. He says, listen, this is actually for your benefit. You want to submit to this pastor, the one that has been put over in your authority. You want to put yourself under his authority because if he's doing his job, he's looking out for you. He's trying to help you if he's doing his job. Now, again, I'll just reiterate, if he ain't doing his job, there's a whole other discussion that we need to be having. But let's assume for the sake of our conversation right now that he's doing his job. Well, then he cares for you. He's looking out for you. And in fact, you want him to do a good job. You want to submit to that because in the last part, he says he wants, he's going to have to give an account for you. And he wants you to do that. He wants to be able to do that with joy and not with grief. Wouldn't that be awful? And I'm going to tell you, I, this is one of the things that does give me trepidation about being a pastor and has for a long time, but ever before I ever came here, is I do recognize that in the role of a pastor, there is responsibility that comes with that. Not just a day-to-day -day responsibility, there's that. But I'm talking about an eternal, ultimate responsibility that I, I can't get you saved, I can't make you live right, but I sure as shooting better get you as close as I possibly can, give you every opportunity to do it. As they say, I can lead the horse to water. I can't make him drink, but I better lead him to water. And you ought to be back in there. You ought to be my biggest fan on that. You know why? Because <laughs> if I give a bad report about you, it looks bad on me. Yes, sir, it does. But doggone it, it looks bad on you too. <laughs> you better be back there cheering. Preacher, I want you to have a good day in heaven. I want you to have a good day at that final judgment. I want you to do that because I know you're giving an account for what you've done for me. So I'm coming all the way back, and I went on that rabbit trail because I think it's an important one. We're coming back to 1 Peter because he says there you need to submit to authority, submit to the elders. Don't read that as blandly just obeying, blindly obeying, because that's, oh, well, that just the preacher got to obey what he said. No, 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 no. Put yourself willingly under the authority that God Almighty has given to you 
and of course presume and hold him accountable for living up to what he's preaching. Hold him accountable for looking out for your soul and be back there praying for him, cheering him on, saying, I know, sir, that you are going to give an account for me, so I'm putting myself under your authority because I want us both to have a good day at the judgment seat. I want us both to be going home with a bunch of crowns. That's what we want to be doing. We need to be in this together. So we need to lovingly, willingly obey that authority. But he's not done there. Let me go back to verse 5 of chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. And he says there, submit yourselves unto the elder. And then he goes to this next verse, or next phrase of the verse. He says, yea, all of you. Uh, do pay attention to the fact that he's now said all of you. He's transitioned from talking to the elders and then to the whole congregation. Now he's talking to the whole church. So this is pastor, elder, uh, uh, member, deacon, everybody's involved in this. this is all of us are part of this. So he says, uh, yea, all of you be subject one to another. Now, if you're like me and you read a verse like that, you say, well, he just said be submissive. Now he wants me to be subject. He's just using a synonym. And in some ways he is, but that word subject, there's a, there's a particular uh, suggestion involved with that. It is subject, subjugated, enslaved is really what's involved with that idea. It's not simply putting yourself under authority like a, a soldier would to his, his uh, commanding officers. It's actually like a slave would to a master saying, I am bound to you. I am subject to you. I am to do your bidding. That's the idea of being subject to one another. What you need to understand about the church when he's talking about how that we need to be subject one to another, is none of us are supposed to be. Now, now a lot of us act this way. Don't, I understand that we do this, but we're not supposed to be, as Christians, independent operators. Too many Christians are independent operators. Too many of us like to do our own thing. You do you, I do me, and we'll all be happy. That's how we operate in this world. If you're a member of this church and really any church for that matter, you are not an independent operator. We are, Peter uses this phrase in chapter 2 and verse 5, we are lively or living stones. Do you know what living stones, these stones are supposed to be? These are stones, you know, these are stones that go into a brick wall. They build, he talks about we're lively stones, we're building a habitation, I believe is the phrase he uses there in chapter 2 verse 5. We're building a building, we're building a building of God for God. With our stone, we are stones that go into that. Do you know what a stone? If you got a brick wall here and you got a brick on top of a brick on top of a brick, those bricks don't operate independently. They actually build on one another. They support each other. They strengthen each other. In fact, that wall is stronger because all of those stones are together. That that lower that lower stone is supporting the upper stone. The upper stone is holding the two stones that are over here to, from going in opposite directions. They're all coming together. They are working together. They are unified and they are supporting one another. You see, we're building something here. And it's not my kingdom. It's not a building like this. It's not your kingdom. It's not any of those things. It's a habitation for God. And what God wants, he wants a lot of people to come to Jesus. He wants a lot of people to be saved. That's how we're building something. And you know how people get saved? It's when you pray for them, you talk to them, 
You over here go and sit down and lead them to the Lord. You over here go and spend time with them, discipling them and growing them in the Lord. And I up here stand and preach to them. And we all contribute together. And we not just see one or two dribs and drabs here and there over the history. And I, I can't even imagine. The, I would dare say, and I don't know for a fact, but I would dare say probably thousands of people, thousands upon thousands of people that are going to heaven now because of the ministry of this church over the 75 years. I don't, I don't know the exact number. I don't know if anybody would know the exact number, but I would imagine it's probably thousands of people. How does that happen? Because we are not independent operators. We all together, as, as Paul says, you know, Paul, uh, one plants, one waters, and God gives the increase. That's how this works. So therefore, we are going to go beyond simply being obedient one to another. That's not the idea of verse 5 where he says you're to be subject, not being obedient one to another, but actually enslaving ourselves to each other, knowing it's not about me. It's about you being helped by me and me being helped by you. It's about working together, putting ourselves, putting others rather, before ourselves. It is for both the elder and the younger to say it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what can I give up to make you a better person, a better Christian, closer to the Lord. For our community to come to Christ, what can we give up? We actually go out of our way to honor one another. Now, I'm telling you this. I don't know that that marks our fellowship the way it should. Just honest with you. I wish, it, I, wish I didn't have to give that kind of rebuke, but I don't think this marks our fellowship the way it should. We ought to be the kind of people as a whole. There might be one or two of us that are like this, and I can think of one or two people that tend to be in this direction, but for the most part, we don't operate this way. It's natural because this culture that we live in, it's me, 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 me. What do I want? What makes me feel good? What do I get out of this? But we need to be marked as people who go out of our way to put others up on a pedestal, put others before us, put somebody else before my, my needs. As he says in Romans 12, 10, being kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Actually preferring. What is it that Brother Bruce wants? How can I help him be a better Christian? Because by the way, if I'm doing that for him and Brother Mark's doing that for me, and, and we're just in this, this virtuous cycle of helping and building and edifying one another, that's, that's where it's supposed to be. We are supposed to be subject one to another. But keep reading there, and I'm going to move on here for the sake of time. He says in verse 5, not only to be subject one to another, but he says, and be clothed with humility. He says be clothed with humility. He doesn't stop with simply saying, now y'all be humble. He does, it's, he's suggesting we need to be humble about things. But I will tell you, if you are putting yourself under the authority of the elder, if you are subjecting yourself, you're enslaving yourself to every other member of the church, if you're actually operating in the, with those ideas in mind, you already are pretty humble. That's humility in action. But he says here, I don't want you to simply put on humility like an act. He says, I want you to be clothed with humility. The image that he has that I have in my mind, when you put on clothes of humility, if I were to put on a certain kind of outfit, then you might say, well, he looks like a basketball player. If I put on a different kind of outfit, oh, he looks like maybe a server at a restaurant. Put on a different kind of outfit, oh, that must be a police officer. There are certain kinds of clothes that mark me for certain kinds of tasks. 
Is that making sense to you? That we put on, it actually mar identifying marks of that, of that, uh, of that profession or that, that job. In the same way, Christians ought to put on the identifying marks of being a Christian. And one of those marks, one of the main marks, is humility. Putting on. So it's not just something that we just put on, or rather we, we put on an act, I should say. It's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're actually supposed to be living in these clothes. This is the kind of clothes that we walk around in all the time. And the kind of thing, too, where it's noticeable. I, I know that I've gone a few places Maybe uh, if, you, if you walk around in a suit long enough, I've done this before when I'm, I, I usually preach in a suit and tie and maybe leave a church meeting or you're about to go to one and you maybe go to a restaurant or a grass station or something like that. You must be a preacher. You must be a preacher. I mean, because most, most people don't just walk around like this, you know, that often. And it's often the way that, that you'll get that kind of remark. The reason I mention that is because it's noticeable. You're, you, you clearly look different because of some outfits you have on. Like I said, if you do the same thing with basket, if I was walking around with a big old helmet on and, and shoulder pads and all that, people would clearly say, well, you must be a football player. You must have just come home from the game. You just didn't have time to change. I mean, it would be noticeable to people. In the same way, if we are clothed with humility, not only is that an identifying mark that we are a Christian, I think people will notice it. It will be visible. It will be outwardly visible. And if we're truly clothed with humility, it's not just the kind of thing that when we go to church, our pew mate says, that sure is a humble man or humble woman. Yes, they might say that, but that won't be the only person that says that. We'll actually have people in our family that could see our humility. When we go to the workplace, they'll see our humility. Our neighbors, sometimes I'm afraid... <laughs> I almost hesitate. I would almost don't even want to know, you know, because I mean, some of y'all, I might think you're great people. If I went and talked to your neighbors, I wonder what they'd say about you. I do wonder about that sometimes. But it ought to be the kind of thing where it's not just what you do on a Sunday morning when you sit on a pew and that person that sits beside you says, oh, that must be a sweet man or a sweet woman. No, no, no. It ought to be visible to strangers. It ought to be visible to your neighbors. It ought to be visible to all of the interactions you have because the way that you operate whenever we get to sit down at a restaurant again, when you sit down at a restaurant and that person serves you at the table, they ought to be able to notice this clothing of humility on you. It ought to stand out and mark you in such a way, inside and outside of the church. He says there that we are to be clothed with humility. But I want to, I want to close by pointing you to the last part of this where he says why we're to do this. He says we are to, go back to verse 5, we're to submit to the elder, we're to be subject one to another, and we're to be clothed with humility. Why? For God resisteth the proud. He says there the reason that we are to do these things in essence is because that's what God's people do. This is what God's people do. If we don't do these things, we are proud, proud people. You see, pride and the rebellion that comes from pride and the selfishness that comes with pride and the hypocrisy that comes with pride, that is the opposite of God's people. That is what God resists. Now, now, when you hear what God says there, he says there he resists the proud. That doesn't simply mean that he's pushing them away. He is pushing them away. But that's not just what he means there. It is the idea of not just that he is against it, he's not for it. But you know what he's doing? 
He is like an army set up against you. He is resisting you in the same way that a defensive force would resist an attacking foe. He is set up ready to destroy you. Now, if you're paying attention to what I said right there, you would know that that doesn't sound like God's people. Because God says, in, or rather, uh, Paul writes under God's inspiration in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So if you are sitting there with God arrayed against you, ready for battle because of your pride, because of your rebellion, because of your selfishness, because of your hypocrisy, you're not one of his people. You're not one of his. But he goes and says that God resists the proud. Look at what he says in verse 5. He resisteth the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. And if you are one of God's people, he's giving us grace. I can tell you, I stand here a recipient of God's grace. He graces us as humble people. This is the essence of the gospel. What humility says is, I need grace. <laughs> if God doesn't intervene, hell is my eternal destiny. It's the essence of faith, by the way. Believing that I'm so bad, that I'm so far gone, that I'm so depraved that I can't save myself. I have to have a Savior, so I'm putting my faith in Jesus. He's saying here that if you are one of these people that has had grace, you're therefore a humble person, that's what that means, and therefore you are necessarily in response to that, you are going to submit yourselves to the elder. You're going to subject yourself one to another. You're going to be clothed with humility. That's what humble people do. That's what God's people do. You see, when your agenda looks like God's agenda, when your agenda looks like Jesus' agenda, when you're not sitting there saying, what do I get out of this picture? What do I can do? What can I put my hands to? What can I do? What can I get? What's in it for me? But instead we say, I got nothing I got what I've got by the grace of God. I have nothing but what Jesus has done for me. I glory in nothing save the cross of Jesus Christ. When you're really at that point and your agenda then becomes God's agenda, then you're going to have no problem whatsoever. In fact, you're going to willingly seek out God-ordained leadership in your church. You're going to have no problem. In fact, you're going to selfishly, selflessly, excuse me, selflessly seek out to serve God-redeemed people in your church. And you are going to wholly commit to a God-blessed lifestyle of humility in every aspect of your life. That's, that's what flows from being a humble person. And I will close by this, by simply saying, are we truly God's people? I think you'd probably answer that, yes, I am, absolutely. Well, examine yourself. If you're truly God's, one of God's people, then it's natural for you to seek to put yourself under submission. It's natural for you to seek to serve other people. It's natural for you to be marked by humility in all areas of your life. If that's not the case, if you're more marked by rebellion and selfishness, if you're more marked by hypocrisy, you need to examine yourself. Because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists. He is fighting against the proud. Which side are you on?
Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.